not because it's fun. God knows it's not because it's easy. It's not even because it works, because it hardly ever does. I do what I do because it's right. Because it's decent. And above all, it's kind. It's possible, just barely possible, that there's been time to put the 12th Doctor's era into perspective, to soberly evaluate the credits and debits, the pros and the cons, the strengths and the weaknesses of Peter Capaldi's run on Doctor Who. And we have concluded that Peter Capaldi is the greatest doctor ever with the greatest hair. Thank you and good night. It's May the 1st, and it's This Week in Time Travel. Getting into our last Doctor Roundup of the series before we venture into the known with Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. And joining us today to talk about Peter Capaldi is our dear friend, Deb Stanish, Verity Podcast moderator and co-host of Beginner's Puck. Hello, Deb. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be back here. And we're not talking about Christmas episodes, so I don't have to fight anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Always a good place to start a conversation. No, no fighting. You know, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of fighting about the value of one Peter Capaldi and uh, his work as the 12th Doctor and the concept of the 12th Doctor itself. Uh, but before we do that, we have a little bit of news to take care of. And so we're going to go over to Chris Chibnall for the latest in Series 11 production news. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Thanks, Chibnall. Uh, yeah, not a big news week, actually. The only news was actually scooped last week by Radio Free Scarrow. They found, and Entertainment Weekly, quote, exclusively, close quote, confirmed that uh, the Genesis of the Daleks Omnibus Edition is going to be hitting U.S. theaters through Phantom Events one day only, June 11th. And that's the news, because we live in an era in which Chibnall has managed to, like, close up any and all leaks from the Series 11 production. Is it possible that Chris Chibnall is actually actually did some time working for Apple Computer in the last few years or something like that? I don't know. I was going to suggest that maybe he had a few silence on hand. You know, you show up, you work on the production, you forget everything that happens when you go home for the evening. Jodie Whittaker walks home and she's wondering where why she's got these tally marks on her forehead? <laughs> it's got to be. I don't know how they're doing it. So... That was the fastest news segment we've had ever. Deb! Yes? Tell me about this Peter Capaldi guy. Oh, his hair. He's so dreamy. <laughs> and he has attack eyebrows. He's just... And he's Scottish. So, hey, that's that's a bonus. No, he's, he's honestly has cemented a place in my heart that I wasn't quite sure I was ready to give. Um, but now that, now that his, his reign has ended, I can look back only with fondness. Well, he, he's complicated. He was, he wasn't an easy doctor. He was a prickly doctor, but he just, he was fantastic. So one of the reasons that as Alyssa and I were trying to figure out who the perfect guest would be to talk about Peter Capaldi, there was this almost cognitive dissonance when he was announced. You and Alyssa and a number of other fans were really, really ready for a woman or a person of color or both or just somebody outside of 50 odd years of sameness in casting and yet it was peter capaldi you know right? you, you have you have two conflicting ideas in your head at the same time sort of this disappointment and excitement and 
I seem to recall you being very vocal about both of those things very early on. It, it definitely it was complicated. How's that? Facebook status. It was complicated uh, because definitely I think we were we were ready for something new. We were ready for something different. But then you have an actor, Peter Capaldi's stature, coming in. And it's like, how can you walk away? How can you walk back from that as well? And the more I thought about it, it really was a departure. And I think we, as, as we discuss his era and sort of the, uh, the response to Peter Capaldi's doctor, it was a pretty bold move. It was a bold move to go from Matt Smith to an older actor playing the role, even if it was yet another white dude playing the doctor. It did bring something a little bit different, which is somebody you know, who's getting older myself can appreciate the fact that they they kind of bridged that gap and, and took a step back to a more classic coup. Um, I think it was the bridge that we needed in order to get to where we are now. I think it would have been too much of a leap to go from Matt Smith and that demographic of who that actor appealed to directly into a Jodie Whittaker. I think you sort of needed, you needed that transition. And we didn't know that at the time. But looking back, I think it was a really good transition to have that actor in. And he's just, he was amazing. I mean, you cannot fault his craft, you cannot fault his performance. Um, but at the time, there there was, it was really conflicting. It was very, very conflicting. I think the gut thing that got me through it was that for all of the anger and disappointment and frustration I felt at that time, there was never a moment in which I placed any of that on Peter Capaldi. There was never a moment in which any of that could have fallen on him. I remember being really frustrated because the whole announcement production that they did was really flawed in a number of ways, including, you know, Moffat making that terrible joke about, mm -hmm. you know, Helen Mirren, you know, giving up the role of the queen and saying, oh, you know, let a guy have it. Like, that was really annoying. There were so many old school male Doctor Who fans, you know, celebrating Peter Capaldi's casting as an opportunity to drive the fangirls off. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was so much just convoluted conversations about the political nature of casting somebody other than a white man in the role. Um, and this was a time in which Stephen Moffat was making a lot of really contradictory statements about when you do and do not have to consider those implications in casting. And he was saying things like, well, you know, people just wouldn't believe it if we cast another young white guy in the role that would break the magic of the doctor and who he was, uh, you know, people would start to realize, you know, it's, it's just all the same after a while. And everyone kind of rolled their eyes and went, yeah, kind of like if you hire, you know, the 12th white dude mm -hmm. to play that role, it's, you know, the magic is beginning to wear off for a lot of your other fans. But Capaldi, through all of it, was just the most amazing, wonderful person that you could possibly have. He was so supportive and understanding of the people that wanted somebody other than a white man in the role. He was just totally and utterly devoted and enthusiastic to making this work. And he was a fan in just the utmost sense of the word. He was stay late on production because he wanted to watch the team blow a few Daleks up. He was so nice to all of the fans who came to watch the production and watch uh, him filming his scenes. And he, you know, we could see the love that he had for this show for 
decades. You know, there was fan, people were unearthing fan letters that he had wrote, written and talking about his love of the uh, show since he was a kid. You know, you watched him coming in and realized this was somebody's dream coming true. And mm-hmm. I think that made it a lot better. You know, it wasn't just somebody taking on the role because it was another job. You could see that for him, this was something he had wanted since he was a little baby boy. And Mm -hmm. that made it easier. You know, I think that made it feel like he's not the one we wanted right now, maybe, but he wanted this for all of the right reasons. And I could uh, respect and appreciate that. I think you hit the nail on the head that it wasn't Peter Capaldi's casting that was so jarring. It was all of the things that went around his casting and it really mm-hmm. got, it, it felt, it felt like they were teasing the fans a little bit. It felt that they were playing with the fans a little bit. And that was okay when it came to Matt Smith, but I think the expectations of what the fan, fan base was looking for, especially a wide swath of the newer fan, and I'm air quoting newer fans were looking for, uh, it, it felt like we were being toyed with a little bit. And I think that left the bitter taste that a lot of us felt when the announcement came. But like you said, the reason Peter Capaldi just embraced that role. He acknowledged that those things existed and those problems existed and didn't shy away from it. And I think that helped ease a lot of what the production staff did wrong about the yeah. announcement because that, that felt, it just felt mean. And there were times when it just felt mean. I mean, yeah. when, he, when he came onto that stage, he comes onto that stage holding his lapels like William Hartnell. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a that is a signal that he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly who he is, what kind of show he's getting into, and that he's a big old nerd, basically. Mm-hmm. We didn't get that with Matt Smith. We did get that to a certain extent with David Tennant. So it was mm-hmm. nice to have a Doctor Who nerd back in the saddle again. That helped a lot. Definitely. And I think to go back to something that you said, Alyssa, about the that that segment of fandom that explicitly said that was gleeful in the idea that this would drive the fangirls away. Um, didn't exactly work out that way. It really nope. didn't. And there's something that you sent over, and, and it's something I've been pondering a lot since you sort of sent me the outline notes for this episode and talking about the reaction from the fan base from Peter, Peter Capaldi, for Peter Capaldi when he was in the role. And it's like how the difference between his reception from the committed fan base as opposed to the casual fan base. And I think the committed fan base was all on board with Peter Capaldi. And when I, when I think of the term fangirls in particular, I think of people who girls who were passionate about this show, who loved the show and they did not shy away from this character at all. They loved this character. They loved what he was doing. They recognized the homage that he was paying to classic who at times. I think where you found the disconnect was in that very, very casual fan base that sort of flipped the channel on and like, oh, it's Doctor Who. I think I'll watch it this week. Not so much. This is on my DVR. It's appointment television. I'm going to watch it all the time. Because at least in the States, it did push the boundaries of what we expect when we look at this kind of a television show, like the dynamic of it. Because we've sort of, for for good or for or ill, we have conditioned ourselves of there are some 
trite characterizations that we have when we put together a television show. And there's always, you know, how we're looking at representation. And it's not right and it's not correct, but it's what we've been conditioned to accept. So I think sometimes watching Peter Capaldi, just casually, casual viewer turning this on and seeing this older gentleman with a younger girl having this kind of flirty relationship, it might have made people a little uncomfortable where your committed fan base and your fangirls, and I'm air quoting that really hard, they were all in on this because they understood how the relationship worked. They understood the show. I think it may have been a little difficult for a very casual viewer who may be coming from the Matt Smith era, who wasn't as familiar with Doctor Who. It may have been a little difficult for them to accept this as eagerly and as readily as Doctor Who fans did. I think, and we've discussed this before as well, I think one of the things that may have been harder for casual fans is that I didn't think that they got his characterization really right mm-hmm. in his first season. Because they are doing a lot of interesting and complex things with Clara and the Doctor's relationship, transitioning from a very easygoing casual, nice guy to somebody who's more removed, more difficult, more grumpy. Mm. Um, it's basically like the reverse of what Rose goes through with the transition from nine to 10. But they are trying so hard to make Peter Capaldi different from mm-hmm. Matt Smith that they lean way too far into being outright rude, mean, denigrating towards mm-hmm. Clara. You know, I think watching the conversation on Tumblr, there were a lot of girls particularly that were not thrilled with the way that Capaldi was constantly insulting Clara specifically for her looks, saying, Mm -hmm. you know, she clearly wasn't wearing makeup when she was wearing a lot of makeup, saying she didn't look young when she looked young and attractive in a way that's completely unobtainable for many young women. Talking about the size of her hips, like I think a lot of girls were, you know, for very good reasons, not thrilled Mm -hmm. with that. And I think if this was committed appointment television, you might be willing to sit through and wait through it. I I did. Plenty of us did, you know, sit through and go, yeah, I know what they're trying to do here and it's not really working out so great. And let's see if they're going to pull that back next season, which they did. But if you're casual and you're drifting in and out and that's your first impression of this new doctor, you know, I can imagine that pushed away a lot of people, Um, Mm -hmm. not because he's older, not because he's not someone they can, you know, project as being their boyfriend. Trust me, fangirl conversation was totally like down with Peter Capaldi. (laughs) That was not a problem. (laughs) That was definitely not the problem. I think the problem for casual viewers is they went so hard into the he's not your nice, likable doctor anymore Mm -hmm. that they took it to an extreme. um, and then really having an older an older man treat a younger woman like that. Yeah. That's a very uncomfortable dynamic that many young women, especially entering into the workforce, find themselves in. And it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to have somebody who has that kind of authority and that kind of and it, it, that dip, that kind of an age gap treating you like that. And I love series eight. I just, I love that so much because it was different and it was bold. They made the companion unlikable. They made the doctor unlikable. And that's a very, very brave choice, but that's not a choice that everybody's going to be on board with. And what they were trying to do and the character growth that happened as a result of that, I think, I think paid off in the end, but it's not necessarily 
episodes that I want to go back and watch again as comfort viewing. I mean, mm. we all have yeah. that, the, those Doctor Who episodes that we love and that we'll sit down if it we're flicking through the television and it's on BBC America reruns, we will sit down and watch. I don't know that there's a whole lot of episodes in that season. I will just for those very reasons, because from a storyteller's perspective, I loved what they did. I loved the bold chances that they took, but it was uncomfortable. And as a yeah. ca- as a casual viewer, like I'm not sure I would have stuck with it. I wonder if part of the problem was Peter Capaldi is one of the most intense actors you can find. I mean, this is Malcolm Tucker, the thick of it. Um, a little went a long way in the scripting, and I think it took them a while to figure out that if we write the Doctor so alien and so negative, there's a chance that it's going to come across even stronger than it might have seemed on the page. It, it, I did get the sense that he's a serious working actor. He was trying to find the role. And mm-hmm. in Series 8, I, I agree with you, Deb. Uh, I think that Series 8 is actually my favorite because of the interestingness of the character arc. But I agree, mm-hmm. it's not comfort. It's amazing, but it's not always fun. It's like Children of Earth is amazing science fiction in Torchwood. I don't ever want to watch it again. Yeah. It's brilliant, but I don't ever want to see it again. But somewhere somewhere around season uh, around season nine, and I think uh, last Christmas last Christmas, I think you made the argument, uh, Alyssa, that Capaldi sort of zeroes in and Moffat and the writers know what they're dealing with and it all meshes together much better, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you think of some of the lines that that Peter Capaldi said, the meanness that he had uh, towards Clara. And if you put those that that language in Matt Smith's mouth with Matt Smith being the doctor and his portrayal and characterization, it would have been completely different. It would not have come across. It was still would have been uncomfortable, but it wouldn't have come across perhaps as mean. Do you know what I mean? Just because, yeah. like you said, Capaldi is a very intense actor and just, and I do think that is, that is a time when the age difference does really come into play. And I think another actor may have played it a little bit differently or it just, it would have, it would have struck a different tone, but with Capaldi and his intensity, it just, it was really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. And in series nine, they sort of move away from that aspect of their relationship together. In series eight, it's kind of two people that like each other as dear friends, but have changed dramatically and don't know how to cope with it. So they're both sort of testing each other and challenging each other and pushing boundaries. And in series nine, it's more of these two people that have become very close and comfortable and understand each other. And you know, there's pushing a little bit, you know, series nine is the whole series of how far can they push each other to extremes. But it's the Hufaldi season, isn't it? It that's what some people will call it. Yes. But it's also (laughs) the season of Hellbent and Heaven Sent, where you have an exploration of how far these two people who are almost codependent in a way will go for each other. Um, and it's not so much that they are trying to deliberately challenge and annoy the other person. Um, it's that they are kind of pushing each other to go further and further uh, to extremes. And 
So it doesn't rely so much on pushing and insulting each other, but sort of both of them up against these types of challenges. So it's a different dynamic uh, at that point. I, I also think it comes into a little bit of how Capaldi is interacting with the text and defining his character because you have a lot of that humor in series eight. Um, what you were mentioning, Deb, the, the comments about her appearance and Matt Smith had a way of playing those to seem more like the alien who just genuinely didn't know. But I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't like that aspect of the humor that Moffat and, uh, Smith had built up together between them. You know, because that's never, in my perspective, been the doctor. He's sometimes a little oblivious of human norms, but not to the point that he looks at somebody and doesn't know what makeup is. Yeah. Uh, Matt Smith it, but, Matt Smith was kind of laddish. And I don't think, uh, I don't think, with all the negging and other stuff that Peter Capaldi did, I don't think he actually went to laddishness, do you? No, he didn't. No. And I think, you know, there's much less of that uh, as time goes on, which I think is a little bit, probably a little bit credit to Peter Capaldi basically being like, and, and maybe just everyone's recognition of this humor does not work for him, probably didn't really ever work in the first place, but it really doesn't work with him and we can't use it anymore, mm -hmm. um, which uh, I think is a, a credit rather than a detriment. I just think the whole storyline between the uh, between the Twelfth Doctor and Clara was just it was complicated throughout. It was not an easy relationship because, as you said, Alyssa, there that that whole nine series nine was just them being really irresponsible with each other mm -hmm. and and pushing themselves or pushing each other towards some really increasingly dangerous and negative and, and negative behavior and. All in all, they had a really complicated, not super healthy relationship. And, you know, throw Danny Pink into the mix and, and that whole complicated thing. I think you really had a case of writers who were trying to do something, just didn't understand the dynamic as well as they could have. And I often wonder if there had been more women writing that season, if it would have either one of those seasons. And we did have more women writing than than normal. If maybe crafting that arc, it would have been a little bit different. They may not have gone to the, quite the extremes that they did. They may not have made the relationship quite so unhealthy, or they would have done it in a way that didn't feel quite so uncomfortable at times. Yeah, I really would have liked to have seen Catherine Trigana write uh, The Girl Who Died rather than The Woman Who Lived. And I love The Woman Who Lived because it's, ex mm -hmm. you know, it's exploring this relationship that immortals have with humans and how it can be good and how it can be bad. Um, but, you know, that's that's where things really start to go off the rail for the doctor, because he's sort of, for, you know, he's misremembering the lessons that he learned in the past. You know, that whole flashback to Donna, as much as I loved it, was very much him not remembering what the real lesson is there, that you save who you can, and sometimes you acknowledge you can't save people. And mm -hmm. instead, he's taking it to be, I need to go to extreme lengths to save this person and give her a life that she may not want as mm -hmm. a result. And it's, we get a really interesting take at some of the more flawed aspects of their relationship when Sarah Dollard is writing Face the Raven. Mm -hmm. um, because there, it's much more explicitly acknowledged that aspects of their relationship are really not healthy for either of them. You know, you have Clara recognizing just how far and how bad she's taken things, that she's taken risks to an extreme um and she's not been as thoughtful and aware of the consequences 
And as much as the doctor is talking about how he needs to protect her and she's saying, I've made my choices, there's a little bit in there where I sort of wonder, you know, the doctor is trying too hard to protect her by taking her out of dangerous situations rather than saying, this is not the way that we can travel. You know, we can't push each other to keep taking chances with our lives like this because he's doing that all season long, too, where he is literally putting himself on the line to die to save other people. So no wonder Clara takes that lesson away. Um, but you also have Clara recognizing by the end that her death means that the doctor is going to go off the rails because she's been in some ways enabling his worst behaviors. And without her there to act as a check, you know, we're going to get heaven sent and hell bent, where he's going to go completely off the rails, um, because he thinks he sort of needs to do these things now. And it's it's just, it's very, very fascinating. But I would like Sarah Dollar to write like every episode of that season, just to see a different <laughs> development of that relationship there. Holler, I'm with you. <laughs> so I think for me, and Chip and I are always going to disagree with this. I th- I say series nine uh, is the is the best of Capaldi's run. Oh, this um, podcast is over. It's of course <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but then we have a year long break. Uh, we have 2016, probably the year in which we needed the Doctor most, and the Doctor is just like nope, bye. And we come back in 2017 with Bill and a new, slightly different Doctor. Uh, at this point around with hair that has grown by probably two inches uh, and is beginning to gain sentience, probably. (laughs) What did you guys think of that season, how he changed over uh, that time period? Wow. Um, The hair, like... That deserved its own credit. It really did. You know, it's it's always interesting to me... um, when the doctor gets his own companion, because we always have these situations where it seems like we have these situations where the doctor inherits a companion from his previous incarnation. And then we have when the, the relationship that he develops from the ground up is always really interesting. And the one thing that I really appreciated in this season is that the doctor was the mystery. The doctor was whatever the mystery was. It didn't have to do with the companion. And I think that is changed the course of what we have seen from Moffat who in for such a long time because it's always been he he loves his mystery girls he loves his his companions being a puzzle box to try to figure out and here we have a case where we have a literal puzzle box in the basement of the school <laughs> to figure out and it has nothing to do with the companion and it was like i loved that aspect of that season i loved the bill season so very much because of that i had Huge, and I think that's why the way that it ended was such a disappointment. Because up until that time, I loved the mystery of the week. I, I love that we had the pathos with Clara, and we had that really difficult season eight, and then moving into season. Uh, I'm with you. I like. I I think eight, the eighth season was much better than the the ninth season, just because of <laughs> the risk that they were taking storytelling wise. Not 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 the writing or anything like that, but just the risks thrilled me as somebody who is a reader and a writer. I think. The doctor having a mystery of his own rather than trying to solve a mystery is a very interesting dynamic and one that makes you approach the text 
a little bit different because you walk into these stories thinking you know so much about the doctor and it's the companion that we don't know anything about and that we have to get to know. And in this case, the doctor presented us with a with a brand new mystery and a big blank in a timeline. We have no idea what happened in betwixt and between. And the way I think even the ninth series was written is there was lots of things that were happening in between the stories that we were just getting teases of. And this season with Bill and the characterization was like, it felt like a big missing episode in a bigger arc. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So when we jumped into one of the Clara stories, they were just bursting into the TARDIS dressed in flame, you know, the the spacesuits that are smoking because they've just been on an adventure that you have no idea what that was about. And that that part is really cool. The way that this, uh, of that series with Bill, it felt like one of those little missing episodes, one of those things that probably should have happened off screen and we're just going to get the emotional ramifications of it at the end. So I like that we got to see that happening and unfolding and I'm just still bitter about the end. So I don't even know that I want to talk about it, but um, yeah, his hair. Can we get back to the hair? <laughs> the hair is, the hair is great. The hair's the um, thing. I mean, I'll be honest, like at least a quarter of the reason why I think series nine is the best is because his hair is the best in that season. Like, mm. you know, it's, it's not close cropped. It's not got it sentience. It's just like the perfect level of like, you know, rock star time Lord, you know, it yeah. works for him. It really does. Series 10 is, I think, interesting one for him because he's got, a lot of different relationships going on. You know, I think it's kind of a detriment to build during that time because there are so many other emotional arcs that hers doesn't really get the opportunity to stand out like I think it should. But you have the doctor having a lot of different relationships with a lot of different type of people. He's got this reluctant relationship with his companion um, because he is desperate for companionship, but still like, guilty and afraid of actually having a friend. Uh, Mm -hmm. You've got Nardole, which is, you know, part tin dog, part keeper of, you know, he's the annoyance that he has around to solve problems and things. Uh, But he's, you know, also one of the people that comes in, as much as I'm not really a fan of Nardole, he gets a lot of those incisive lines of, you know, coming in and saying, you're acting like this because of your emotional problems and maybe don't take that out on me or your companion. And then he's got Missy and later um, Sim's master. So you've got uh, that relationship, which is just, you know, nearly as old as the show itself. And they get into a lot of that. And you've got him, you know, the eternal question of can he trust or befriend his old childhood friend ever again? Um, and he wants to desperately, but he's not quite sure if he can trust her. Um, so for him, it's it's a complicated web of relationships that are pulling him in a hundred different directions. And I think it's it's really fascinating from a character perspective that they really dive into that as much Mm -hmm. as they do and try to figure out, you know, what are sort of the complicated relationships that the doctor builds up over time and how do those loyalties contrast and compete with each other? So I, I, I have really mixed feelings about the season for a couple different reasons. I think I really, really liked Bill Potts's character. I thought she was wonderful 
and and amazing. And I loved her story. I love the fact that she was the grounding thing. She was the, just the, the monster of the week storyteller. She wasn't the companion in the big C sense where we had this, like I said, this whole mystery surrounding the companion. However, part of me feels really guilty about the fact that I am okay with her just being that, in that sort of role because as one of the very few black companions that we've had, it's almost like I want her to have something more. I want her to have that same very in-depth, complicated relationship with the doctor that all of the other companions have had. But on the other hand, it was so refreshing just to have a friend sort of going along on this is the adventure of the week. It doesn't have to be anything bigger or more than that. We don't have to have the pathos that went along with some of the other characters or the other companions that we have. But then again, she deserved that too. And she deserved to have the same consideration and that same depth of writing that every other pretty white girl companion other than Martha, who also had a very complicated storyline had. So, oh, I, I, part of me likes the fact and, and, and I have guilt. I have guilt over that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I, I don't know where I stand on that fence. It's very frustrating. And on top of that very real problem about how much development, character development does Bill get. And I don't think that she necessarily needed to be more than part of a mentor-mentee relationship. I don't know that she necessarily needed more than that to have had strong, powerful character development in moments, you know, that, you know, they they made efforts along the way to give her a social life and things like that. They just mm-hmm. never really completely followed through with that. But on top of that, as you said before, the sheer variety of stuff that was going on that series with Nardol, with Missy and all that stuff, it felt like Stephen Moffat, knowing that this really was finally really and truly his last series, everything that he had percolating in the back of his head, he just had to get out there. And Mm -hmm. I feel like series 10 almost had just too much material in it. Maybe if Moffat had had two series series worth to deal with some of that stuff, everybody would have been served better. Instead, it mm-hmm. was just chock full of stuff, you know. And and in in the end, you've even got John Sim returning as the master, and that's just you know, at that moment, it's it's overstuffed. It feels to me, and I'm not sure that everybody gets served. Well, I think the frustrating part of that is the whole, you could have had the Nard you could have Nardal and Missy in that story in that whole series. And it would have been fine. You didn't have to have, you didn't have to have Bill at all, but you chose to have Bill, who was an amazing character. I loved her adventure. The friendship that they had was amazing. But then in the last two episodes, you try to give her like this really tragic story. Like at that point, it's, you're trying to cram all of the things and all of the emotion that you should have been having all along into this really complicated, problematic story of her being cybersized. And it's like, well, wait a second. All of our heavy emotions been going towards the master relationship and trying to figure out what's going there. And now you're like the companion in jeopardy at the, at the end of this, when we sort of, it felt like it was cheated. Like we did not get the same sort of emotional buildup that we did with the other companions. And that's okay. And it could have ended like that. We didn't have to do that to Bill at the end. Yeah. Pie in the sky because of budgets and all that stuff. But. Maybe if we'd had a couple more episodes in the season that were the caliber of thin ice that had that level of uh, just the doctor and Bill having uh, meaningful quality adventures with each other, would that have helped? I think maybe it would have. I don't know. I Because I don't think that was the... 
I don't think that was the point of Bill. I think the point of Bill was just, was to be the sidekick who was having all these adventures while you had this master storyline sort of percolating in the in the background. And that was that was really the the focus. That was the point of this was to resolve the master doctor relationship. And I just think I don't know it. It's a very sloppy season when you try to think about what was their intent? What was the motivation? What was the story they were trying to tease out of this? And it yeah. it feels like we did get the payoff with the doctor and the master. And I, I just think it was a little bit of torture porn almost when it comes to what they did to Bill. Like it just was, it felt gratuitous and it felt like it didn't need to happen the way that it happened. And I was not happy with how they resolved it, how they resolved the story with Heather. That felt too pat, too neat. It reminded me very much of the Mickey Smith and, and Martha Jones kind of tie up at the end with the 10th Doctor. Like, look how convenient this is sort of thing. We have this one get out of jail free card that we can use without having the emotional build up for that. I think it could have been I think it could have been an incredibly emotional event. We just didn't get it. We just didn't get any of that build up to that. This one character we mentioned in in the first story, all of a sudden is the love of her life in the last story. Like that's, you, you didn't, you didn't work enough for that, for that payoff to work. No, definitely not. And I very much agree with you. I don't, uh, like, you know, making companions into puzzle boxes. Um, it's kind of one of the reasons that I don't really like Clara until she stops being a puzzle box and starts being a human. But it's one of those where it seems like once the companion isn't a puzzle box, Moffat doesn't really know what to do with them because she is the grounding force of that season. You're exactly right. And that's sort of why we need her. We need that entree into the doctor's life. You know, there mm-hmm. she she is sort of the adventure that we don't see before we get into the meat of the story, which for that season is the doctor and the master's relationship. But it seems like they needed to create some big dramatic arc for her, which is where you get the cyberizing at the end, except they shortchange her any development or reaction to that, really. She's just supposed to go along and be sad and angry, but not allowed to show it the entire time mm-hmm. um, until she can get rescued by her space puddle girlfriend. You know, yeah, they use the tone argument, like how yes. it's so problematic to tell a black actor yeah. that you sound too angry right now. You need to calm down. Like, I have to think that that was... I can't even imagine that there was any thought going into that line. Like somebody nope. should have said, no, 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 let's back off this one. You have no idea how problematic this is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just a pile of mess that, that one there. Um, but I mean, you're right, Chip. They had too many things that they wanted to do mm-hmm. and they're just piling it in uh, to one very overstuffed, unfocused season. But Peter Capaldi's hair was great. Yes, Peter Capaldi's hair. So if we're talking about Peter Capaldi's performance, his performance was really good. I am suspect of the writing. I would never, ever, ever would have the doctor laugh at a companion being upset at the thought of having her have to shoot and kill him. Yeah, and think that that was a joke. Yeah. God, I completely deleted that from my memory. And now I'm angry all over again. <laughs> right. So like I, <sighs> the writing, I think the writing let him down a little bit in the, in that season. Um, but his performance was, he, he acts, he can act with his face is what I always like to say. <laughs> he can act with his face, not having to say a word. He can express many emotions without, 
without having to utter some of those vile lines that were written for him. Yep. So if we had to pick a favorite Peter Capaldi episode, what would you describe? What would you say is your favorite episode? Oh, yuck. I hate doing this. <laughs> um, you like knew we were you. going to ask this, Deb. Did I? Oh, my gosh. I would have pulled up Wikipedia just to refresh my brain. Um, you had to know. It's us. I know. Okay. No, I can't pick that one. Um, <laughs> can I have a second? Talk amongst yourselves. I need to ponder on this a little bit because this is a very weighted question. It's a very weighted question. All right. Well, what's your favorite one, Chip? I have mentioned one, but having recently made the mistake of stealing Alyssa's favorite before, I'm going to not say what I think she's going to say, and I'm going to say the other one that she's probably also going to say, and she's going to be mad at me for. Time Heist. I You can have Time Heist. I oh. love Time Heist because it's a caper. And yes. because the sub then because the supporting characters um the, the supporting characters you know we only get to see them that one episode but i felt like they had the makings of a potential pattern oster gang if they ever wanted to uh bring them back and develop them further sai and sabra um mm -hmm. it was i think that that was the most fun bit of series eight for me um and uh and and, and, and adored it uh I also liked uh, Mummy on the Orient Express and Flatline quite a bit as well. But uh, Time Heist is the one that I got the Doctor action figure for. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, I'm always torn because I, I do like the funny ones. Like Peter Capaldi does humor incredibly well. So when he does a lighter episode, it just it's delightful. And Time Heist, Time Heist is a good one. I'm not going to pick that one, but that would have been definitely in my top ten. All right, Alyssa, how about you? I'm going to listen to you first before I have to pick. Listen to this. She's moderating from the audience. I am. <laughs> this is more of a comment than a question. <laughs> um, so my favorite one is Thin Ice because I think it's one of the few that does political episodes very well. I think it's one of the few that does historical episodes very well. But it's also a very interesting introduction to the doctor from a new companion's perspective. And they really dig deep into building the companion doctor relationship. You know, Bill has known the doctor for a while at this point, just as her tutor and as her teacher. But this is her proper introduction to the doctor as the alien time traveler, um, mm -hmm. that she really digs deep into his ethics, his morality, Morality, uh, and experiences adventures the way he does as a series of difficult, uncomfortable choices to be made of who can you save, who can't you save. And she meets him at a point in which he just simply cannot get too emotional about the lives that he loses because, I mean, we've seen what that does to him in every previous doctor, that he just, he can't, he cannot wound himself that way anymore. Um, he cannot expend that emotional energy anymore, or he loses the focus on what he needs to do, which is keep working to try to save other people. But it's ultimately a very compassionate episode to the both of them. 
as they are learning to work with each other and the doctor is sort of reminded that, you know, he's an alien, but he doesn't get to be removed from the problems that he's facing. Uh, and Bill gets to realize that sometimes you have to question and reevaluate your ethics when you are traveling with the doctor in all of these different situations. Um, but that doesn't mean you lose sight of what it is that you are ultimately fighting for. Um, so I think it's just one of the most brilliant uh, episodes uh, that Peter Capaldi has done. Mm, good one. All right. Having reversed filibustered by making us do all the talking. Yes, I know. All right. <laughs> I, ha I have to commit here. I Can I pick a two-parter? Yes, you can. Okay. I think I'm going to go with The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch is Familiar. Um, Good choice. Because those two episodes have everything in it that you would want from a Doctor Who episode. You have humor. You have sight gags. You have the Doctor's very complicated backstory when it comes to Davros and the Daleks and that decision that he made all those years ago that has impacted his life ever since. You have delightful interactions with the Master. You have the Master's humor and her interactions with, with the companion. It just... And, and the companion having to trust the Doctor and just a callback to Clara in the Dalek. And it, it there was so much in that in those two stories that it just felt like it was a mini Doctor Who season in and of itself because it struck so many of the elements that make Doctor Who so amazing. And I think they did it incredibly well, um, using humor in a way that really cut to the heart of the issues of the Doctor and the problems of the Doctor and the guilt of the Doctor, because still, even after everything, he still carries so much guilt in him. And... Yeah, I think those are two those are two stories that I would go back and watch again and again just because it has so many of the individual elements and collective elements of what I love this this show about and it's all there in 90 minutes. So our last question <laughs> is we're going to pick best episodes for beginners to start with. And Yikes. I will give you a moment to think of your answer, Deb. And I'll start off um, mm. because I'm going to pick an episode that I'm guessing Chip isn't thinking that I'm going to pick. And that's Flatline from Series 8, which is, I think, one of the best episodes of that season and one that I can actually go back and rewatch. There's, you know, a lot from that season, you're right, Deb, that I just don't go back and rewatch because it's not easy, casual comfort food viewing. But Flatline has just sort of, I think, the closest that they get to peak Peter Capaldi during that season that a beginner can easily get into. Mm -hmm. um, you have him at grumpy but not mean. You have his humor, and you also really get an idea of what the relationship between him and Clara is going to be like for the next two seasons, because it's her sort of being in charge for that. You know, she's acting like the doctor because the doctor is trapped, but he still gets the hero moment at the end. He still has moments of guidance and advice during it. And you see their bantering relationship together. You see what about their relationship is really good and enjoyable. So I think actually, I don't think his first episode is a very good one to start with. Um, mm -mm. It's not, no, it's no. not, 
you know, it's interesting for what they're trying to do at that point, but it's not a beginner episode at all. Like you need to have been watching a little bit before that. So if you're just trying to say, hey, I love Peter Capaldi, here's something earlier in his season that doesn't require any base level knowledge to jump into and you'll get to see what his work is like. Flatline is a great one to start with. Mm. I think I'm going to go further along. I think I would go with Smile. Oh, as an entry point. Um, I just because I think the Clara seasons are just too complicated to throw somebody into. If I were going to introduce somebody to Doctor Who and to Peter Capaldi, I would probably start with Smile just because it is it's a standalone sort of um, off world adventure where the doctor is there is a there is a problem to be solved. Uh, you have really great moments between the doctor and Bill as to what the job of a companion is and how that job is never followed by the companion, uh, which is so, so Doctor Who-ish. I like the fact that, you know, it's it has sort of a funny monster of the week, which is the little robots with the emojis on them. So like, it's it's kind of funny, it's kind of silly, but yet there's some real tragedy to that episode. And at the end, you have the doctor being really callous about the resolution of this. And it's basically, yes, we understand that these people have murdered almost everybody that, you know, ever lived here. But uh, you know, you guys will work it out. It'll be fine. And that is so classic Doctor Who, where he just kind of comes in and uh, sort of solves a problem and then leaves somebody else to do all the cleanup. So I think mm-hmm. it has all of the elements of what somebody can expect out of Doctor Who in in one sort of very complete story that other than that little gut punch at the end is really kind of a really good romp to to introduce somebody to the adventure to the res- what the doctor's job is of there's a problem I need to solve it how the companion assists in that and you know kind of a silly silly not too terrifying monster that that people can relate to and the visuals in that are so beautiful oh yeah visuals are that of best of the whole season i think chip what about you I'm going to go back to Series 8. I would have chosen Flatline. Uh, (laughs) So, revenge is yours. Now I'm the one that's stealing episodes. Yep. Oh, my gosh. The competition here. I don't even know. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Uh, So, I'm going to go with Mummy. It's a good Peter Capaldi thing. It's got a little more... 12th Doctor in it than Flatline does. Flatline is, in a lot of ways, a Doctor Light episode. Although it... Although, man, I, I still want to say it because because the Adams family bit. But um, it's there's something kind of archetypal Doctor Who about it. The sort of the retro flapper chic of it in space, inhabiting that same space that Voyage of the Damned does, but a little less broadly. I just really like it. Uh, those two episodes, both written by Jamie Matheson, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I want to see him back on Doctor Who because he he rapidly became one of my favorite uh, Doctor Who writers. But uh, it is he doesn't a, write easy stories. No, no, but it's a good one. It's it, it, it's mm-hmm. a good one. It's it is very Doctor, and the Doctor is difficult in that episode, and yet he is also. Someone who pulls jelly babies out of a cigarette case. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ah, best season for Peter Cavaldi's hair is still Series 9. And I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would probably have to agree with you. It did It did become a little much in, in Series 10, but 
you know, I was still okay with it. I didn't mind. I oh, I never th- dislike his hair. No, there's no bad Capaldi hair. There's only best yes, Capaldi yes, hair. Yes, there is. When he had the unfortunate haircut in Flatline and his hair length changed from scene to scene. He's a time lord, Chip. <laughs> <laughs> his hair does it does things on its own schedule. Like time We've already is discussed how it gained sentience. That's right. It was, it was doing its own thing, that, that story. <laughs> so it's been just more than four months since he left us. Was it too soon for us to go through this exercise? Are the wounds still too fresh? Or is it, are, are we in a place where we can look at Peter Capaldi in sort of perspective and say, you know, th- this was this was a breakthrough doctor. Yeah, like I said at the top of the show, I think I think he was an amazing actor for the role who did something different and I think really paved the way to show a modern audience how different the doctor can be. There are times I wish his writing the writing for him was a little different. I don't think it's too soon because I think I know personally, I am so excited for Jodie Whittaker to take over the role. Like normally I, I go through a much longer and harder and deeper mourning period for the doctor. Um, and this time I'm not finding myself doing that. I'm much more excited to see what's happening because we are having this big transition. Um, I'm going to miss him though. I, uh, he really, he grew on me in ways I didn't anticipate only because Peter Capaldi's performance was so astonishing at times that it really rose above the writing. And, and then when he did get good writing, and I'm thinking that Zygon two parter where he did one of his amazing doctor speeches, it just was delivered in a way that I can't imagine another actor nailing it the way that he did. So, yeah. Um, I, I think four months, I think this is an appropriate time to talk about him. I think we've had some distance, as as you all know, talking about these episodes when they're fresh. Your reaction needs a little bit of time to cook. I think you can look back on things and things that you thought were amazing when they first happened. You, you're away from the passion of that moment of just watching something and you, you have a little bit of distance and you look at things a little bit more critically. And I think it's a good time to look back, particularly in um, season eight, eight to nine, because and acknowledge some of the problematic things. And um, maybe season 10 stings a little bit less, but I think we can look at it a little bit more critically now that we don't have that immediate visceral reaction to what happened to Bill. He was a good doctor. He was a really good doctor. And I think he did, he he took the role in a place it needed to go after all of the uh, time war angst that we all had to live with. The oh, previous dear. doctors, yeah, I think I think he's the one that needed to 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 finally move us beyond that the lonely god and all that nonsense. He carried us through, and you know it sometimes feels too soon, but I think he closed out his time with the doctor the best way that he could, and his final doctor speech uh, before his regeneration is basically everything that I needed to close out his era uh, and be happy with it. So still sad that he's gone, but I think he went out in the best way possible. And now we can look back and celebrate what we had and be excited for what's to come. Deb, thank you so much for joining us this time around. It's been really great to talk to you. You had the microphone all to yourself without five colleagues. 
I know. This is like, it's so much fun, like being on a podcast, not having to run a podcast. I'm sorry I did slip into moderator road just a little bit there. It just, it's, it's, it's hard to turn that off, guys. It really is. <laughs> You've used it to your advantage, though, so it's I can deflection. only give you props for it. <laughs> deflection in its highest form. But no, I, it's always a joy to talk with you guys about my favorite thing and my, with some of my favorite people. So thank you for having me on. We wouldn't have it any other way. Always great to have you, Deb. Deb can be found on Twitter at Deb Stanish. She is the moderator of the Verity Podcast at Verity Podcast, veritypodcast.com. And she is the co-host on the Incomparable Network of Beginner's Puck. Go to at Beginner's Puck or visit us at theincomparable.com and find the podcast. We are available at thisweekintimetravel.com, on Twitter at drwhothisweek, I'm on Twitter at numeral two minute time lord. Alyssa is on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism, and the podcast also exists on Facebook. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music, to David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and avatar. This Week in Time Travel is part of The Incomparable, a network of podcasts full of smart, funny people who love talking about TV, movies, books, comics, games, sports, and basically any other aspect of popular culture. We will see you next week on This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye. Don't forget to click below to subscribe to the official Doctor Who YouTube channel.